This is Spin Control, a Fibercraft podcast by a joyful girl. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spin Control, episode 109. Summer is here. In this episode, I've got some knitting, a little bit of spinning, a little tale for you about our shearing adventures. I get all spun up about some upcoming adventures I've got on the books, and I'll put my spin on Estes Park Wool Market for you. But to get things started, let's kick it off with some updates. So I decided to call this episode Summer is Here because it arrived yesterday. Today is June 28th, and up until yesterday, the temperatures had been somewhere around mm, between 40 and 60, like in the 40s overnight and in the 60s during the daytime. Like, if it was 62, we were feeling pretty lucky. So yesterday, the temperatures got into the 90s, and today it was much the same. So summer is officially here in Colorado. Well, I should say in Colorado Springs, because just the other day, Up in the mountains, they got like two feet of snow. We are not having that kind of adventure here anymore, which is awesome because the snow definitely took a toll on, you know, my garden. I don't really garden. I'm not the kind of person who gardens. There are some residual things that are growing around my yard that the previous owner of this home planted. For example, my rhubarb. My rhubarb is not faring very well. It started to bloom and that was pretty, pretty awesome. And then we got like two and a half feet of snow on top of it. So it's really struggling to recover from that, but all is right with the world. It's hot, but that's okay because I like to run around barefoot and, you know, work on my flip-flop tan and I enjoy the warm weather, except when it's time to go to sleep. So we're pretty happy. Summer's here and we are definitely taking advantage of everything the warm weather has to offer. Well, it looks like that's all I've got going on in updates. So I guess it's time to get this podcast started. And now it's on to spin a tail. So because the weather has been so cold and so crazy, it took us a really, really long time to get to shearing when it comes to the alpaca. Last year, shearing happened in May. This year, shearing literally happened like last weekend. So the 19th of June, it was super late. But thankfully, it happened just in time for, you know, the weather to get warm and the boys aren't out there melting in my little homestead. So that's pretty awesome. So shearing. Um, Our breeders over at Wild Hair Alpaca are aging, if you will. Okay, they're getting older and they try to do their big shearing of their entire herd all in one weekend. So they hire a professional and his crew to come in, but it takes about six or seven of us to actually make it go pretty smoothly and get everything done that the alpaca need for care. So he's a professional. He shears them relatively quickly, painlessly. It's super easy on them and they feel and look amazing when he gets done. And then of course they get their annual shots and things like that so they don't get ticks or tetanus or anything like that. So we take care of all of that, trim their nails, and do all of their like annual care stuff all at one time. So the weekend before last, we helped the breeder shear 85 
head of alpaca. And that wasn't even his entire herd. The first day, we only got through about 25 because the weather got absolutely miserable, so bad that the the shear took forever to get there. Like he was super duper late, like two and a half hours late getting to the farm from his previous appointment because the weather was so bad. And then we got hail and we had like all the alpaca were totally cued and all ready to go outside in their pens, like in the order that the breeder wanted him to have them shorn. And then like we had to hustle to get everybody inside, back inside the barn so they didn't get soaked, one, because wet alpaca fleece is just about impossible to shear, especially like their show quality fleeces. We were definitely not going to let that happen. So we got through about 20 the first day and then 25 the first day. And then the second day we started really early, helped him out and got about 65 done. And that was really fun and awesome and definitely a learning experience. Now let's talk about learning experiences. Last weekend, it took us about as much time as it takes the shearer to do about 30 head to do our three boys. <laughs> I know, right? Ridiculous. So we paid the breeder for a shearing lesson. He used his equipment. So we packed up the boys and took them over to the breeders and he taught the boy how to shear the alpaca. We used his equipment and his setup over at his barn to get them done. And it took forever. And I feel so bad for the boy because one, he was stressed out. He was totally scared that he was going to clip one of the boys and hurt them or something. And he was also concerned that if he was too conservative, he was going to ruin the fleece and I would be disappointed. But really all I cared about is that the boys got shorn and, you know, they're not melting out there in 90 degree heat now. And it was definitely a learning experience. And I'm sure next year will be a lot easier and a lot faster, but it was certainly an adventure. We had a couple of our friends come and help us and, you know, we took care of all their annual stuff. And they're definitely happy and frolicking and enjoying the cooler uh, presence of not having those fleece. So one of our smallest alpaca has the most dense fleece. His fleece weighed about 10 pounds and was absolutely a chore for Matt to shear. To the point that he was afraid to shear the other one, the last alpaca, because he thought it was going to be even thicker. So what I did was I had the three boys shorn by quality of fleece. So our oldest boy, just Bill, he's 14 now. So the quality of his fleece, it's really, really nice. He's like a grade two. It's really soft. However, it's not consistent. Like his blanket is not consistent across because of his age. You know, he's getting up there. So I had him get shorn first because, you know, he was the least likely to be the highest quality of fleece. And then he worked his way up. So my favorite, bittersweet, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. His fleece was the really, really dense one. And I had him shorn second because he has a lot of guard hairs like on his chest moving up into his belly and into the blanket. So the ease of processing that fleece will be the least. So, you know, that was the boy's second fleece that he shorn. So I figured he'd learn a little bit as he went from one alpaca to the next, then the last one would be the best. That's kind of what I was hoping. And I think it worked out. Uh, Wrangler, he is the youngest. He's about three. His fleece is super consistent and beautiful. It's got the weirdest, most interesting color. They say he's a medium brown, but he's got around his neck and legs and his blanket near his belly have this interesting gray tone to it. 
and I just could not wait to get my hands on that fleece. I actually don't have his fleece from last year, but I do have the other two boys. So we learned a lot. I have three beautiful alpaca fleeces, two of which will probably take a little bit more work to process and pull out like the second cuts and stuff, but that's okay. I'll get over it. They are our boys and I'll get to spin their fleeces. And it was definitely a learning experience. And next year, maybe I'll be the one who has the shears. In this edition of Spinning My Wheels, I have had a lot of adventures, but I've also had a lot of things take away from my knitting time. So right now I'm actually knitting on My Blue Heaven, and I would like to get this done before I, we, before the boy and I head off on an adventure in just over a week, and I think I can do it. However, I've been doing a couple things that have been taking my knitting time. So I started getting up in the morning about a half an hour earlier which means that I am more tired in the evening. So I go to bed earlier, which takes away from my knitting time. And because I'm getting up earlier to work out, I'm actually sleeping better. So there was the last couple, I think April and May were really, really tough. I suffered from quite a bit of insomnia. So I would actually get back out of bed after the boy fell asleep and come into the living room and I would knit for 15, 20, 30 minutes after I should have been sleeping. But now that I'm working out in the mornings, I'm getting better sleep at night, so there's not that extra 30 minutes a day to knit or spin or whatever else. But I have been working on a few things. So in spinning, the biggest thing I've got going on in spinning is that when I went to Estes Park Wool Market at the beginning of the month, I took another class with Maggie Casey. That woman amazes me. I think it actually amazes me how much I don't know about spinning. Like every time I take some sort of class in spinning, I just learned so much more than I knew before. And one of the things, so the class that we took was called Twist. And we spent, oh gosh, it was a good six hours talking about different fiber types, contents, crimp, makeup, quality, and different projects and the methods for getting the right amount of twist for fiber that will help get you to your end product goal. And I don't think it's something I really want to do is spin with intention, but I haven't gotten there yet because, well, I think I, I guess I do. I spin with intention on the dreaded fleece because I, once I finally figured out how that fleece wanted to be spun, I did a bunch of spinning and plying samples and I want to make myself a sweater out of that. And my final yarn, once it's plied, should be about a DK weight. And that is going to be super wonderful. So that's, I think, the only thing I've ever spun with intention. No, I spun some sock yarn, like with the goal of spinning sock yarn in my head. But that twist class, actually, I think because of that, like I have always known that you can adjust the speed on your wheel and the take up of the fiber to impact the overall yarn. But it really wasn't until she walked us through every little bit of it that I figured out how to manipulate the combination of the uptake tension and my drive ratio to really get a thicker or thinner yarn. And the one thing that baffles me is I'm like, oh, I can't spin that thin. I can't spin that thin. And I never thought that I could lace my flyer. So the only time I'd ever seen anyone lace their flyer is when they actually had hooks along their flyer. So I thought it was just something that happened to, you know, that went along with that type of flyer. My wheels, actually, I think all of my wheels, except one, have a sliding yarn guide on the flyer. And I just really didn't think that you could lace your flyer unless you had hooks on it. 
Is that silly? But anyway, I spun the finest yarn I've ever spun in my entire life because I learned how to lace my flyer and I learned how to control the uptake and the speed with which I was spinning on my little tiny Louette Victoria wheel to really manipulate the weight, density, fineness, twist of the yarn that I'm going for. So I really think I'm going to do that from now on. I'm going to try to select fiber that's in my stash or fleece that's in my stash and spin with a project in mind and make the yarn I want for the end project. Because I think I'm just one of those spinners who up until now really has just spun for the joy of spinning, collected skeins in my stash, and periodically I'll go, you know what? This yarn wants to be a cowl. So I'll select a skein of hand spun out of my, my stash and then knit it that way. It's more of a what can I do with this yarn that I've made versus how can I make this yarn for this finished product? So that's really cool. A class like that really helps me build my confidence and work toward becoming a more proficient spinner. So I really, really enjoyed the class. And it was a lot of fun too because three of the girls from my knit group all took the class with me. So it was a lot of fun. We were, we might've been a little too giggly, but okay, we did get in trouble with Aunt Maggie one time and that was at lunch. And she might have snipped at us and called us kids and, you know, tried to get us to calm down. It was a lot of fun, though. We really enjoyed it, and I hope I get the opportunity to take a class from her next year. What else have I been up to? Knitting. Okay, so you've heard my little trials and tribulations about losing knitting time. But I swear I must be like the slowest knitter on the planet. I don't think it takes me that long to form a stitch, but my projects do not progress, like, for anything. So I finished that pair of self-striping socks. The pair I had complained about because I knit them one at a time and I had to go relearn how to do the German short rows for the German short row heel. I do really enjoy that heel. It was a lot of fun, but I had to figure out like what tutorial I used and try to use the same method to construct the heel. So for both my sake and yours, I will definitely link to the tutorial. It was a YouTube tutorial that I used to make that heel. So I won't ever forget again. And you can try out the German heel if you haven't before. It was a lot of fun. It was super easy. There's no wraps at all involved in German short rows. So that made it a lot easier to remember and manipulate. It does have, I would say that it's got a lot more openness and holes along the, along the turn than I think other short row methods. But for socks, I kind of like the styling of it. So it worked out really, really nicely. But I'm not doing that again. So I had planned to knit flashback socks in the month of July. But I have changed my mind and I will tell you why. I'm going to say flashback socks until August because we have a lot going on in July, a lot of traveling, a lot of adventures. And I don't think that with all that stuff going on, that picking a patterned sock is the best idea for right now. I do definitely still want to go through my favorites and through my cued sock projects and Ravelry. Am I like deep dive into my stash to use some stuff and make a pattern that I've been dreaming of for probably 10 years or eight years or whatever, and finally get to knit <laughs> some of those patterns that have just been looming around forever. And I just feel like I've missed out a little bit on the opportunity to knit those. And I think what I'm going to do is, so keep an eye out on the Ravelry boards and on Instagram, is I'm going to post a handful of patterns that I'm thinking about and get your help to choose which one I should do, especially if you've knit them before, like a little bit of feedback on whether or not they're super complicated or easy or super fun. Definitely if they're super easy, super fun, and something I could do at knit group, that would be amazing because I can't count a knit group 
to save my life. Like I can't even cast on at knit group. It's ridiculous because I always miscount everything, even though I think it's perfect. Even when I use like markers and stuff, it's horrible. I can't do anything that complicated at knit group. You know, as complicated as counting by single digits in public. <laughs> anyway, so hopefully I'll get some feedback from you guys and you can help me pick my flashback sock for August. Until then, I'm going to cast on another pair of plain self-striping socks, pick a new heel to try in this pair to continue my heel study. So that should be a lot of fun. But with all the travels I've got going on, there's absolutely no way I could do anything more complicated than a plain Jane pair of my favorite fitted socks. Really one of my end goals is to try to fill up my sock drawer. It is a pitiful shame, the lack of colors that there are in my sock drawer. I am a sock knitter. I've been knitting for years. It's ridiculous. And I actually have like three pair of socks that I need to darn. And I don't think I'm going to darn them. Is that horrible? Well, no, I have one pair I'm absolutely 100% going to darn. And those, oh shoot, I have two pair of socks that I absolutely have to, to darn. My friend Tanya made me a pair of TARDIS socks out of this luxury, wonderful yarn. And I don't know how I managed, but I wore holes on the bottom like the underside of my heel on both socks, like at the exact same rate. And I don't know how I managed it. It's ridiculous. And then there's the magic socks. So I think it was 2012. We went to Camp Kip and Toady Joe, Amy, had all these socks that other people had knit her. Like I think she loves hand knit socks, but she didn't want to knit them. So she hooked up with a bunch of people on Ravelry, sent them the yarn, and they sent her back socks. How fun is that? And she ended up with so many excessive pairs of socks that she brought them all to Camp Kip to give away. And this one morning, we're all sitting there having coffee, spinning or knitting or whatever around this giant round table, like coffee table. And she just dumps this bag of socks on the table. And I reached over and I grabbed this purple pair of socks and they fit me perfectly. It was a cookie A pattern. And the yarn was like super thick and luxurious. But I couldn't believe that they were knit for her. And her feet are like two sizes bigger than mine. But they fit me perfectly. And I think everyone around the table just grabbed a pair of socks and they all fit. I call them the magic socks. <laughs> I love them. So when I feel like I need a magical day, I will pull out my purple magic socks and I will wear them. I have no idea what the yarn is, but it's beautiful. And I just love them. So I'm definitely going to have to darn those as well. I'm afraid to darn socks because I don't want to ruin them. Is that weird? I don't want to ruin socks that already have holes in them. I should probably get over that, huh? All right. So in planning, I have two relatively large trips coming up. One the first week in July and the other the first week in August. And I want to hear from you guys what you pack on trips when it comes to crafting. Just to get some ideas. I don't know how much knitting time I'm going to have, but I don't want to be stuck without any knitting if I need it. Does that make sense? I'm going to take a handful of magazines and things like that that I've been trying to catch up on for the plane ride and things like that. So that's cool. But I don't know what else to pack. I'll have the plain Jane socks, but they can get a little boring. So I definitely, definitely want some other kind of little travel project that'll work well, but will keep my interest, but not be so complicated that I mess up the whole thing while I'm traveling. So I hope to hear from you guys and I'll post that kind of stuff over on Ravelry and on Instagram for voting and feedback. That'll be awesome. I'm not taking any spinning with me because... Well, I don't know about that. Maybe I'll take a spindle so I can try to continue my effort to finish all of the projects that I have started. I still have that pink Louette um, cotton candy looking fiber to finish on the spindle. And I really, I think because it's packed away, like in a container, it's on the shelf. I can see it from here. But because it's packed away, I don't spin 
with the same rate that I do when it's out. I used to spin on a spindle a lot at my other house, even when I didn't have like a whole lot of time because like I'd just about be ready for work and I'd pass by the spindle sitting on the shelf. I'd pick it up. I'd drop it two or three times and then I'd go about my way. And I do that like almost every day. And so I would, you know, progress through projects pretty pretty easily, but I just have not been doing that. So that's probably something I should do. I should probably pull the spindle out, have it just sitting there so that when I pass it, I'll be interested in picking it up and going, oh, let's drop the spindle a couple times. So that's an idea. I should definitely think about doing that. I'll let you know how it goes. Well, I think that's just about enough for spinning my wheels. And now I'm going to put my spin on Estes Park Wool Market. This is a trip I'm going to make every year. I had a blast. The event is, I believe, the first full weekend in June every year. We are rolling up on the 30th anniversary of the event next year in 2020. Every year, the event starts out with two days, Thursday and Friday, of classes of a variety of types. Pretty much anything and everything fiber-related there's probably a class for it. Like I said, I took a spinning class. There are several spinning instructors. In addition, you can take weaving classes, knitting, dyeing, felting, and just pretty much if it's fiber related, you can take a class on it at Estes Park. They offer classes half days and full days, and you can. they even have classes that are two full days, which is cool. This year, we only took a one full day class. So that's about six hours, and they pay for lunch, which is awesome. The classes themselves are super affordable, not overpriced like some other events, but I won't mention their names. And it's a really good time. I think that the instructors that they get every year are very high quality, and I haven't heard a complaint yet. Lunch is catered. The event is actually managed by the city of Estes Park, and they do a really, really great job. Classes are held at the local high school because school's out of season, and it works out really, really well. And then, so starting Friday at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they open the wool market. The name of the event, in my opinion, does not do this event justice. It's called the Estes Park Wool Market, but it is so much more than that. The wool market is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I would consider it world-class. They have amazing vendors, everything from like local breeders associations, selling fleeces to big names that I think everybody's heard of, like Clemens and Clemens. They're there every year. And then a lot of Indie dyers that, you know, are relatively popular. Leading Men Fibers was there this year. Actually, they were Leading Men Fibers was the only booth that drew me in this year. So I looked at everything. There was so much gorgeous and beautiful stuff. I don't know if it was just my mojo or all the other adventures I've got going on, like coming up in the near future. But I brought home one skein of sock yarn. Yeah, one skein. We've talked about this. I normally pack an extra bag in which to bring home my, you know, my score from an event like this. Not this year, one skein of yarn, a t-shirt. I did buy a t-shirt, but it, but don't let that be a reflection of the event itself. So if you've ever been to, to where? So if you've ever been to Rhinebeck or Maryland Sheep and Wool, both of those events have like a very large central like barn or event building that has like the most number of vendors. And I would compare their entire wool market to one of those large buildings. Like the big barn at Maryland Sheep and Wool, that's the same size of their vendor booth. And it's pretty awesome. Except, yeah, I'd say it probably houses just as many vendors 
as the big barn. So that was pretty nice. In addition to vending and classes, they also have, you know, the standard kind of fair, outdoor, farm, sheep and woolly events going on. They do fleece judging and breed judging of all sorts of different animals, not just sheep. They have llamas, paca vacunas, goats, alpacas, sheep, rabbits, and you can watch all of that stuff, all of the competitions. And they actually do, unlike Maryland Sheep and Wool, Maryland Sheep and Wool does their judging behind closed doors without any audience. At Estes Park, they actually do live judging where they'll have guest judges come in and they'll tell you exactly why they pick the fleeces that they, they pick for their grand champions and those kind of things. So that was really, really cool and very educational. Like, I don't think that there's many opportunities like that to actually hear, you know, people that have been judging fleeces for 35, 40 years, hear their opinions and why they're picking quality and, you know, how things have changed over the decades and the quality as the breeders, you know, get refine their their herd. It's pretty awesome. I enjoyed it. I highly recommend if you get the chance to go to Estes Park Wool Market, do it. In addition, here's the additional draw. So I actually got the boy to go with me this year, which doesn't happen. We lived 20 minutes from Maryland Sheep and Wool for six years. He was at the event one time in the parking lot just to drop off bird and that was it. Never came in not one time. I can't believe he didn't even come like on a Sunday, like when things are nice and calm, just you know, for the whole fair ambiance to see the animals and, you know, have funnel cake. No, couldn't get him to go one time. But I dragged him for a five-day event at Estes Park, Maryland. But that is because the city of Estes Park is skirted by the Rocky Mountain National Forest and the Rocky Mountain National Park. We actually camped for four days and it was wonderful. The campsites are beautiful. They're very well kept. The other campers were super polite and and wonderful. The views are amazing. We were probably 50 yards from the river and you could hear it like all night long as you're falling asleep. We had visits from deer, elk. This is at the campsite, by the way. Deer, elk, wild turkeys. It was definitely very interesting. So when I was at class or at the wool market, the boy was off hiking or mountain biking. And then we'd all meet back up in the evenings and have dinner around the campfire We um, actually got four sites that were all co-located with three other groups from the Nick group. And it was awesome. We had so much fun. And a couple of the spouses came and they all hung out. And it was just a really good time. So if you have the opportunity to come to Estes Park Wool Market, it's a good draw to get the family to the National Park if you like that. I also, like last year I went, but I stayed in town at a really nice historic hotel. And it was a lot of fun. Like there's great restaurants downtown, cute little shops. It's an all around family event. Like you can go get your knit on and then do stuff with friends and family outside of just the small hours. It's wonderful. And I plan to go every year. I absolutely love it. And that's my spin on Estes Park Wool Market. In this episode, I am all spun up about the adventures I have around the corner. First off, in just over a week, the boy and I are running off to Cabo to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. We're spending a week out there and it is going to be amazing. Like my kids are grown. I don't have to worry about any of that. It's just going to be the two of us. We are going to do it up. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to go sailing, snorkeling, uh, a lot of time next to the pool with cocktails in the swim up bar. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a really nice, well-deserved break. And I am just, I'm really proud of us. 20 years of marriage and 
we are still happy and having a great time. And then at the beginning of August, we are going to go on our annual River Sit trip to the Miramac in Missouri and hang out with a bunch of our old friends and have a wonderful time just chilling next to the river and enjoying everyone's company. This might be my favorite time of the year. Thank you, Summertime, for joining us finally. And that is what has me all spun up. Well, it looks like it is time to spin off this episode of Spin Control. I cannot believe how much I had to say. This definitely was not my shortest episode. I was kind of a chatty Kathy, but I really enjoyed sharing everything I've got going on with you guys. And I look forward to hearing what you guys have got going on and all of your recommendations for the plans I have ahead. I look forward to hearing your experiences with different patterns. That should be a lot of fun and hopefully educational for me so I can make some decisions with your help. Hopefully in the near future, I will be finalizing a pattern or two and releasing them, which has me really excited. I have a shawl pattern in the works that I'm still knitting the sample on. That's my blue heaven and a pair of socks. And I should have that together well enough before I leave on vacation to get it to the technical editor. Fingers crossed that that all works out for me. I'm a little bit less confident in my ability when it came to that pair of socks. It was very complicated. It's not very complicated. It's just a little difficult to explain. And I'm hoping that I do a good job and make the pattern readable and, you know, actually executable by my knitters. They're adorable. I love them. And I hope I can do them justice in my pattern writing. Keep your fingers crossed for me. All right. That's all I've got in this episode. I will be leading this episode out with some kind of song that I have yet to select that is summer related. And I hope that you enjoy it, whatever it is that I pick. But I'll link to it, as I always do, in the show notes. As always, you can get the details about this episode and all the past episodes at spincontrolpodcast.com. You can email me at shiloh at foreverhandmade.com. Catch me on Ravelry and Instagram as foreverhandmade. Thanks again, guys. I will talk to you soon. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right.